Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest or guests bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guests are director Pat Mills and writer Allison Richard, both of whom worked on the new gay horror film, The Retreat. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us. We're really excited to to dig into the retreat. But before we do get to it, one of the questions we always ask is, how did both of you get into horror? How were you introduced to it? Oh, my gosh. That's I mean, I I remember watching horror movies as a kid, both intentionally and unintentionally. And they always were the movies that had the biggest impact. And then Pat and I met in high school, actually, and oh, started, wow. and star- and started uh, skipping school to watch movies together. Hell yes. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah, that's the best friendship. <laughs> yeah. And yes, my similar to Al, my um my introduction to the horror genre was when I was six years old and I didn't realize I was watching a horror movie, and then I was um subjected to like the most violent thing I'd ever seen, and it started a lifelong obsession. What movie was that, I have to ask? We're gonna talk about it. It's oh. Friday the Yay! <laughs> No. Well, then we'll definitely put a pin in that because I am. Wow, I have so many questions when we get to that. That's amazing. Um, so you guys have known each other since high school, then. Hmm. That's we have. awesome. We met in biology class. Ooh. And we both failed. We both. Was <laughs> <laughs> it because you're watching too many scary movies? Yeah, I think so. We had other priorities at the time. Still do. <laughs> yeah. Were you guys making like talking about making movies or making movies back then? Or just watching them. I think we were watching them at that point. But I think that when we went to university, that's when we really started to like, you know, get a bit more serious. And, you know, I think that we co-wrote a script before we knew what we were doing. 
Cool. So yeah, no, it started. I think the the interest in film definitely started in biology class because it was more interesting. <laughs> we, <laughs> we also biology class. Yeah, seriously. We also very not seriously, but seriously made a stop animation movie with Barbies in my uh, basement in university, which um, oh we never finished, but <laughs> which we had actually it was kind of amazing. Wow. Do you have say. video of this? Pat, do you, Pat, do you have that somewhere? You know what? It was a Super 8 thing, and I have no idea oh. where it is. So We'll have to find it someday. We'll find it. We'll find it. <laughs> Out of the archives. <laughs> I think they were like drag queen Barbies or something. I don't know. It was... Oh, <laughs> oh my God. My God. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So what were a few of uh, your favorite horror movies like that you watched together while you were growing up? I remember Pat was a huge Friday the 13th fan. I had seen it as a kid, but Pat was obsessed with it. Again, we'll get a bit more into that later. I remember talking <laughs> about The Shining a lot. Mm. Not necessarily a horror movie, but in the horror genre. We also got quite obsessed with Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Um, oh my god! <laughs> Very, Very good. Very good. How's your head? Which I think we watched a hundred times. Yeah. Um, Pat, any other ones you can think of? Well, I, I mean, remember we would go to the video store, and I feel like we'd rent those really shitty straight-to-video horror movies mm-hmm. just to like kind of hate wash hate watch and judge them before hate watching was a thing the best part about being a high school student watching horror movies i feel like i did that all the time yeah, i like would hate best. brent and we'd all roast it like sit there and just laugh at it which is terrible <laughs> now like that's so mean but you know i know teenagers yeah definitely <laughs> okay so transitioning to as an adult what draws you to the genre now i love genre i love i love genre i like writing in genre because i feel like you can sort of use these conventions of a container to try to tell different stories in it like there's such a huge canon of projects before so really i mean i remember actually starting to write the retreat thinking it was going to be really easy and then realizing just how hard it was because so much stuff has been done but i do think that genre is a great place to you know i think it's an area that you can usually get an, an attainable budget but there's so much you know um i think there's room for play yeah what about you, Pat? I think what draws me to it is, is just how the simplicity of it. And mm. it's like base emotions. And it's also like I do a lot of comedy stuff as well. And I, I find it all very similar in terms of like mm. the setup. It's all about the setup, whether it's a joke or a scare. And I find that kind of interesting. Cool. And so yeah. do you ever still get like that childhood fear that you got watching The Shining or Friday the 13th as a six-year-old? Sadly, no. And I miss it. Okay. I miss that feeling <laughs> of like being I, thinking that you're going to die if you fall asleep. I, mm-hmm. I haven't felt that since I was probably about like 16 or something. But I it's just kind of depressing. I don't know why, but I really, really miss it because it's like it. It's like adrenaline is pumping and it's like you let your imagination go wild. And I feel like I've dulled all of my sharp edges as an adult because I don't feel like that anymore. And Friday the 13th now and all these scary movies are like a comfort in a weird kind of way. Like they do the opposite. Oh, yeah. Which I actually think is more common than I think. But I think the last movie that totally scared the shit out of me that I saw was The Ring, which is a while ago but i remember that movie for whatever reason just scared the crap out of me oh the trailers of that movie scared me so i get it 
And that, <laughs> it's like the see, hair. It's the hair. I don't know. Like you know? <laughs> the well, the hair. It's just creepy. It's just like wet, nasty hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I do think there is something to the kind of surrealness of that of that movie that kind of taps into the, the kind of baser instincts and fear that, that we probably still have ingrained in us. Like I, I still have vivid, I mean, we talked about the ring on the, on the podcast, but I have vivid memories of that video and just sort of like, I don't know what's going on here, but it's making me feel creeped yeah. out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very uncomfortable and very creeped out. Yes. What are your favorite horror movies as adults now? Ooh, I mean, I feel like there's been some really good ones in the last little bit. I loved Revenge um, <gasps> from oh. a couple years ago. <laughs> I remember seeing that and uh, I saw it at uh, the Toronto Film Festival and I was sitting with a friend uh, and the two of us were in one row and we had another friend who was in the row in front of us and the movie finished and she and I at the same time were like, that was and we said, amazing, just as he was like, horrible. Oh. <laughs> so I thought it was like oh. one of those ones that had such a divisive reaction where like people I talked to either love that movie or hate it. I was definitely on um, camp love. You're among friends right. here. I wrote, I wrote my entire master's thesis on that movie. <laughs> no, you oh, did amazing. Are you serious? Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. I did. Yeah, yeah I, I, I love it. I spent a whole year researching and writing about it and female and female directed rape revenge movies. Yeah. Oh my god, that's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I want to awesome. read your thesis. Sure. <laughs> no, I, I, I wrote it like two years ago, so it's probably not as bad as I think it is. It's like one of those things you write and then want to like shove out of your head and tell people oh. about it, but never actually let it see the light of day. That was, that was in a very that was a very effective use of a pause. I have to say, <laughs> I got scared. I'm going to be honest. And I was like, "Did I hit mute? What happened there?" <laughs> yeah, if you if you're comfortable with it, <laughs> no. But that's very cool. That's Maybe such a great movie. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. such a good movie. Mm-hmm. What about you, Pat? Uh, what's what? Is one of your favorites as an adult? Uh, I really liked Hereditary. Oh yes, and yeah, I, I mean, I t- tend to go back to horror films that I grew up with, and I'm mm. I rewatch them constantly. And one that I really love that really spoke to me when I saw it when I think it was about thirteen was Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four. So that I tend to like <gasps> revisit that oh one. God. I love the lead. That's my favorite. I oh. swear to I swear to God, we have found kindred spirits because me and Allison with Revenge, and then Terry and Pat with Nightmare on Elm Street Four. It's like. The vibes. The vibes are oh, well, so good. Somebody turns into a cockroach. Oh, God. So good. Oh, so gross. You know, everyone talks about two being, you know, obviously the the gay one of the, the series. But I always think that four... I mean, that was sort of my like sexual awakening as a kid with with Dan. Totally. And well, and I also think that the movie explores like gender and identity in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, that's always for me. That's the one that I, I feel is is more queer than than part two i agree and i feel like there's some subtext with the can't remember the character's name the actress's name is toy do you know what i'm talking about the the girl with asthma and the like butch girl who loves to work out like there's there's something going on there you know (laughs) <laughs> yes, I completely agree. I do think because um, we talked uh, to Sam Weinman, um, who is a is a queer director as well, um, uh, last year, and I remember him talking about he really likes four. I I wonder if there is something with that movie for queer audiences in particular. 
Yeah, I think it's it's also the first movie that kind of veered. It did it properly, but it kind of veered into the camp territory, and it oh, did yeah. it well. And it was still scary, but it was still entertaining and really funny. And you know this this nerd girl who sort of absorbs the personalities of all of her dead friends is like mm-hmm. that's a queer fantasy if I've ever heard one. <laughs> oh yeah and she like you know she starts out this sort of mousy afraid of you know being seen and then she ends up owning her sexuality but yeah. then it's like yes i'm here for and it she does this like you know ralph macchio karate kid mirror nunchuck routine oh like yes. i'm into that shit you know it's good stuff completely agree <laughs> okay so transitioning from you know your horror history let's talk about the retreat Um, So can you tell our listeners a little bit about The Retreat? Sure. So it is the story of a couple, Renee and Valerie, who are at a crossroads in their relationship, and they go to a cabin in the woods to meet up with some friends. When they get there, their friends aren't there, and things get worse, and they realize that they're being hunted uh, by a group of militant extremists. Yep. Yep. That sums it up. (laughs) (laughs) The end. That's it. Interview's over, guys. (laughs) I'm curious how this this story came came about. Uh, How did you conceive of it? And what were kind of your influences in writing it? Yeah, so there was kind of a couple things that happened. So plot-wise, I think the... I mean, Pat and I had always wanted to make a gay horror movie. That was kind of one thing that we had talked about. And we would watch movies like High Tension and get... You know, that movie was so great in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And then the sort of like, you know, spoiler alert, big twist. is like, it's the crazy lesbian, you know? So there was (laughs) a lot of that kind of, you know, like, God, why we should do something that's different than this. That was, you know, something we talked about doing. And then... My wife and I went away uh, one weekend to a like remote cabin in the woods that we'd rented, and it was really beautiful and serene. And we never saw our hosts, but we uh, we started. We just had this feeling that we were being watched, and we would, you know, go for hikes, and we'd come back, and someone would have, you know, changed the towels or left like a little note with something. And so it just was really unnerving, and we were really conscious, you know, as women and particularly as queer women, about how vulnerable we were because we were literally in the middle of nowhere at this you know remote cabin and you know this idea of like who is watching us why are they watching us what do they want (laughs) do they like us do they hate us and that was kind of the beginning of the the idea and obviously you know taken to its extreme worst case scenario uh would be the retreat that is so fucking creepy (laughs) like just like you leave and you come back and it's like hi i left you a little note and you're like what How'd you know we were gone? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't like we were taking the car. Like, we'd go for a walk. So, so, you know, it just had that kind of creepy vibes. Well, and I was thinking, you know, that story in particular, if if, for anyone would be upsetting that the fact that you come home and there's like little notes or things have been changed. I mean, because that that, that does feel like there's an invasion of privacy there. But as queer people, Mm -hmm. I think that it's even a little bit more concerning because you don't know their intentions because you're not what, you know, the quote unquote status quo you are. You are in a place that's more rural. You don't know how people are going to react to you. So I, I do think that that invasion of privacy for queer people is probably even a little bit more threatening. Definitely. I know every time, time I like rent a cottage or, or, or a cabin away, you're like, do they know that I'm gay? Do they know that I'm bringing my boyfriend? Am I allowed? Are they, you know, it's, yeah. it's all of those things. Then that's what I really responded to with the script. Cause it's like, we all relate to that. We mm-hmm. going into this space where it's, you don't know if it's safe. But you ha- maybe you have to check your 
your own prejudices. Maybe you're being prejudiced by making assumptions that they have problems with you being gay, but it's like, we're not there yet as a society. <laughs> That's yeah. a culture. Things can, you know, be a bit more terrifying, especially yeah. if what they're you- dropping off things when you're not there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, t- and you you talked about like your prejudices, but something I really liked about this movie is it wasn't like I feel like a lot of these slashers in general are like a bunch of rednecks or like hicks. And these guys, you know, there's a little bit of that vibe with with a guy with a beard, but then the other character, he's he just kind of looks like a clean-cut white guy. And I thought that was really interesting to show that kind of like these kinds of attitudes aren't just limited to the stereotypical redneck figure you see in horror, but it can be anyone, even if they seem very friendly. Yeah, I think that was a thing that, you know, I particularly found alarming over everything that's happened, you know, in the last however many years ongoing, but particularly (laughs) in the last however many years Mm. of just like you know, how quote unquote, like normal, a bunch of these people that are doing and saying terrible things really are. And I think that was something that we kind of wanted to illustrate in the movie. Yeah, that's that really stood out to me the whole time. Like, I was like, this is really smart that, you know, we're looking at the different, again, pushing past those stereotypes in a negative direction, but still like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) portraying a closer version of reality. Mm -hmm. I live in uh, the center of of the country in a Right now, I'm sort of in a more rural area, and I have to say that some of the things that that I was seeing in the beginning of the movie, in particular the trucks with the the balls hanging from it, <laughs> um, is like a as everyday sight. And you know, I I the center of the country, in particular, once you leave like the city, isn't always the most welcoming for people that look different or maybe aren't the you know straight passing type mm-hmm. people so like i it, it is a fear that uh i i see i see on a, on a, you know constant basis sometimes not particularly towards me but it's like it is always something in the back of my mind when i'm when i'm out and about and, and handling things in, in this local area where it's like i don't know if this is good <laughs> i traveled across um the states of a few years ago and every single time I stopped for gas, I was like, why the fuck did I put on purple pants today? This was a really <laughs> yeah. terrible yeah. decision. I'm wearing like a... Anyway, it's like you just feel very, very just unsure of the environment. And yeah. And there's no friends. You Like I was alone. And I, I mm. totally related to that in the script. Like what is the straightest thing I have in my car that I can put on? Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to go with my purple pants. <laughs> <laughs> An American flag shirt and purple pants. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> it says America on it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I I have to to bring up uh I don't know how to pronounce your last name, so I apologize if I butcher it, but Tommy Amber Puri. Puri? Yeah. yeah, you got it. Puri. She is fabulous in this. And I I was getting vibes of I don't know if you've seen it, but the movie You're Next. She remind she feels like she could be friends with Aaron at the end of that movie. Oh yeah, I can see that. Just the way that she sort of like takes charge in in the situation and her kind of progression from being uh, kind of a pacifist at, at one point to kind of going no fuck you guys we're gonna like just go full uh-huh. ham. Definitely. What was it like working with with? Well, I mean your your cast in particular is stacked. I I love that even though he's in a bit part seeing Monroe Chambers. I was like, oh Monroe, I love <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, they were great. Like we, I mean Tommy in particular, it's such a physical role. Like mm. I think 
she really needed to recover after the shoot. It was a really hard shoot. We got, you know, we shot it in what was supposed to be fall, autumn, and that's where the look is for the movie. But we had quite sincerely every single season thrown at us. It snowed so many times, randomly, unseasonably. And one day it just started raining and it rained for four days. And we were in like, a, it was basically like the, the set turned into like a mosh pit because there was so much mud everywhere. Like it was, oh my like God. so we had, we had a lot of, um, a lot of tough factors, but I mean, she, she, she's a force. She's a, she's an absolute force. And because it was so hard, I think it added something to it because I feel like everybody was just so uncomfortable <laughs> that it just kind of, you, you can kind of tell like Tommy is literally chained with metal chains to a cold, it's snowing outside garage. Like it, and I think that she was just very, very uncomfortable the entire time, but like fully game to just go hundred percent. Uh, and she really did. Like she was, she really comes across so well and she's likable, but she's so tough, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was my favorite part, particularly as we move into the third act. I was just like, I was, I was buying whatever you guys were selling at that point. <laughs> Amazing. Where did where did you guys film? We shot um, about an hour and a half outside of Toronto. Yeah. Okay. And then cool. it was sort of a piecemeal of you know like the retreat that we had scouted and uh, Pat had shot listed for and we had everything ready. You know, fell apart last minute. So the one that we ended up getting using in the movie kind of came together what pat there was like 24 hours before we oh something like that yeah. <laughs> so um <laughs> like the property with like the deer stand and the garage uh and the barn mm, that mm-hmm. um it was sort of written to that property like we knew we had access to that area so and then there was you know just just some other kind of piecemeal stuff that we found in and around the area cool. and just in trivia just a few miles away from where we shot is the motel from Shit's creek it's a little trivia. <gasps> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh. There you go. Small world. So we weren't the only homos uh, in the area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys just took over like a two, like a like a mile, like a bubble, just a gay bubble in the yeah, middle yeah, of gay nowhere. Bubble. <laughs> hey, you got to make your own spaces. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we shared the same like lunchroom. It was like a community center rental that we would eat lunch in that they used as well. So, oh wow. Yeah. Hey, Catherine O'Hara, what's up? Yeah, so we're <laughs> gonna do a cameo as yeah. a homophobe killer. Oh my god. <laughs> Moira Rose in a wig, just standing in the deer stand, <laughs> watching them with binoculars. Oh. Oh, that's so good! Can you imagine? Like, it, that would be it would be designer camo, of course. Oh, duh. yeah, of course, it would. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, a sequel? Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've talked about the retreat and your horror history, but Pat and Allison, what movie are we talking about today? We are talking about Friday the Thirteenth, the original from 1980. The OG. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of you unfamiliar. With Friday the 13th, a group of camp counselors are stalked and murdered by an unknown assailant while trying to reopen a summer camp, which was the site of a child's drowning and a grisly double murder years before. Okay, so you kind of teased us a little bit, but I want to know, when did you both see this movie and how did you see it? And give us basically your horror story about seeing this movie for the first time. Well, I have two experiences with this movie. My first experience was seeing a scene when I was six years old, 
and my sister was watching it in our creepy basement. I <laughs> walked down, not knowing it was a horror movie, and there's this girl in a raincoat, and she goes into this bathroom, and she gets an axe in her face. <laughs> and I don't know why my sister, who's older than me, say, said, like, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't watch this. You're six years old. This might scar you for life. And <laughs> nope, I sat there. I watched and then I was screamed all night long. And I remember going to school the very next day. I'm in the first grade and I'm looking at all of my classmates and thinking, you have no idea what I went through last night. I have seen some shit. I have seen what nobody here has seen before. And it's awful. And then it's funny. I watch that scene now and I'm like, why is she screaming and holding on to the curtain and not moving and running? But, you know, you got to get your shot before the axe kill. That was my first experience. And then when I was 10 years old, um, because I had been so like freaked out about these movies, we had family staying with us, my cousins, and my dad rented us the original movie. And so I watched it all the way through. And when we got to the Kevin Bacon, like, death scene, my dad wanted to tell me, like, show us how fake it was. So what he did was he played the, like, spear through the next scene in slow motion. <laughs> in his mind, it would I would see how fake it is. But in my mind, it just burned a hole in my psyche. And it, like, kept me up all night. And the other thing is that because we had family staying with us, I had to give up my room to my aunt, and I had to sleep in a tent in the backyard that night. No. No. Yes. <laughs> so that is why I'm fucked for life, because of that movie. And that is what... Wow. You didn't even have, like, somewhere on the floor you could sleep? They put you in a tent? I almost... Th I think they enjoyed it. I Like, I think that they did it on purpose, just to, like, screw up their child. That's really what oh, okay, I Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Al... Maybe they thought it was like they maybe it was a ploy to tough like they're like oh we'll show it to him in slow mo he'll sleep outside he'll realize he's a survivor you know we'll straighten up our gay son that, yeah. well I didn't want to say that but yeah <laughs> yeah throwing him into the wilds of the backyard yeah <laughs> exactly but I literally was lying in the tent thinking the spear was going to come through the ground oh gosh. like it was it was oh. bad. <laughs> and like all you could do is think about it because he played it in slow mo. It isn't like it just happened and stopped. It's like, all right, let's just watch this real slow. Exactly. And have that burned into your psyche at ten years old. Good times. That's amazing. That's Good amazing. Times. Wow. Wow. Nice. I mean, my I remember I was in I think it was in grade three, and for whatever reason it was at the end of the year. And I think, you know, I can't imagine this happening today, but for whatever reason the teacher would let kids bring in movies and play movies and there was one kid in our class who was a big horror movie fan and so there was um it's when i saw kind of you know the couple of nightmare nightmare on elm streets and uh friday the 13th i just remember this sort of like terror of being in geography whatever it was and it was like the lights would go out at the end of the year and it was like oh god here we go some kid is like you know with the <laughs> pandemonium of like you know pre-preteens running around this classroom but then I know when I saw it a little bit later, like actually watched the whole movie, the part, I mean, A, the parts with the, like the, <laughs> the Mrs. Voorhees, like when she's like using the kid voice, that oh, totally yeah. freaked mommy. me out Kill because her. it was like grownups, you know, like you have this idea when you're a kid that grownups are in control and aren't 
because she looks like the normal mom. And my mom has like has had basically the same haircut as Mrs. Voorhees her That's entire life. So true, right? So it's like, <laughs> and she also wears like. It would not be um, surprising to see my mom in her sweater. So I think there was something like, <laughs> just inherently creepy about that as a kid being like, oh, God, the grownups are fucked up. What's happening? And then, of course, the moment when, you know, everything's serene and happy and that like jump scare with the dead, creepy kid coming out and uh, and grabbing her. You mean Jason? I do mean Jason. Yeah. The one and only. And that's so funny. The first time I saw this movie, and I just remembered this, because we talked about Friday the 13th Part 2, and I totally forgot that when I was younger, I caught the very end of it. And the kid, and I was like, oh, look, a happy ending. And then the kid jumped out of the water, and I screamed so loud. And I had no context (laughs) about what was happening (laughs) and who the kid was. And I was just like, what the fuck is this movie? No, thank you. Like, I thought, like, I don't know what I thought it was, but it was... um jarring to say the least and i was spoiled because i saw the the woman i saw mrs Voorhees at the end too i don't know it was yeah but you, but it's true way. it's like it's a really effective scene because it does seem mm-hmm. like everything's fine it's like that you know which is the classic now classic kind of ending but it seems like everything's fine and then just out of nowhere and he's creepy too oh he is creepy and he's covered with like it looks like he's been down there forever like he's covered in moss yeah. type like water crap and i was i was thinking about how i don't remember before this movie there being sort of like that last you know getcha moment at the very end and this this movie plays it so straight with the the very serene music and it's such a beautiful shot the way that the camera is like mimicking the 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 lake is sort of mimicking the trees above it and it's sort of like a mirror image and it's so serene the music is is finally peaceful after being Mm -hmm. you know bombastic through the entire thing and then yeah rawr and he jumps out and pulls her in it's such a it's such a good yeah. scene. And they even have the cops there. Like the cops at the, like the cavalry has come, you know? It's like, they're there. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Like they throw everything at that. It's going to be fine. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think about when I saw this movie because, uh, you know, when you're, I grew, I, I was a kid in the, in the 80s and into like the 90s. I, I was born in 81. So like, you kind of watched movies as you got them or as you're able to watch them. So I, I know I watched this series out of Mm. order and by the time I got to this one, I, the mythology of Jason already been established. And so I was waiting for there to be like, you know, a a Jason in this film. Uh, And I would have failed the question from scream because I would have thought (laughs) that the killer in this was, was Jason. Uh, And so that was a surprise for me as a kid, but like, you know, I, this wasn't a series that I was really allowed to watch a whole lot as a kid because, as as I've talked about on the podcast before, my parents were all about like no nudity, and this series is known for a lot of nudity as mm. it got you know further on. And so, yeah, I I don't have as much of a, an experience with with Friday the Thirteenth as a lot of a lot of people growing up in the eighties did. But it's it's your favorite, Pat. Is that what you said? I would. I mean, the Friday the Thirteenth series would be my my favorite. Because I just tend to go back to it, even though they're so yeah. like corny and cheesy and like bad. I just kind of still totally enjoy them, and in fact, I I've gone back and rewatched them like more than any other series or other other film, which is strange. But yeah, but yeah, I love them. <laughs> Mary Beth, you you're not as familiar with these. I mean, I think you've seen what I have this seen one, one, two, and. 
10. <laughs> oh, the one in space? Yes. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yes. I went from one and two to the space. craziest thing I've – one of the craziest things. My It was like a couple months a couple months ago, I think, and my fiancé and I were like sitting on the couch. I said – do you want to watch? And then we saw, I think it was, I don't remember what streaming service it was on, but it was Jason X. He's like, you want to watch Jason X? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> and wow. I had a lot of fun. It's so stupid. But like. It was, it was shot up here in Canada. No way. Yeah. That's why some of the acting's a little questionable because they're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and David Cronenberg's in it. Yeah. That's right. That's true. <laughs> what year did that one come out? Like. That would have been. Is it 99, 2000, I think? I'm not sure if I've ever actually know. seen it. Now I want to watch It's 2001. That. 2001. Oh, 2001. Oh, wow. Okay. You haven't seen it? I, no, I recommend I it. it. Okay. All right. Well, just, it it's like, it's a, it's, it's a good movie to watch when like you're in a, a mood to kind of laugh and watch a wild spectacle, which Perfect. I feel like is a lot of often <laughs> slasher, <laughs> slasher franchises. Totally. Totally. So what what's your relationship to this franchise, Allison? Well, I mean... I, again, I'd put it in the, you know, it, it was like Friday the 13th, The Nightmare on Elm Street and Poltergeist kind of came mm-hmm. into my life around the same time. So I put mm-hmm. them in, like, they're sort of in that, like, there's a bit of nostalgia. There's parts of it that actually really scares me. And then I feel like I have had so many conversations with Pat about <laughs> Friday the 13th. Sorry. <laughs> no, I kind of love it. And the, the best thing is to, and I rewatched it. Uh, I actually rewatched it just like half last night and half today. And there's moments that I can picture Pat like saying stuff because he's <gasps> talked about it so much. So I feel like I have a hybrid of like half memories, half having conversations with Pat about it. But I do think it's it's so I mean it's such a classic, right? It's like in rewatching it too, I think there's so many like you can see how much of an influence it's had on so much that has come since it. And the original, I feel like, you know, although I mean there's clearly a lot of really hokey things about it and a lot of questionable things about it, but there's parts of it that I think still stand up quite well. Terry and I were talking about this and how like this is one of those first slashers. Obviously there's Halloween and Black Christmas, but like Friday the thirteenth is was like one of the one of the first and it definitely set a lot of precedence. And the one thing I really love about really like about this movie is that the killer is not a man. Totally. It's, it's an older woman, mm-hmm. which we never see and it felt like it still feels revol- like kind of revolutionary in a way because usually women are not the killers. She's iconic and it, it bugs me or like bums me out. And I know she's killed in the movie, but like she's pushed aside for a male figure. And I feel like mm. that loses. I've only seen t- obviously one, two and ten, <laughs> but like, I don't know, like it loses that cool edge a little bit to me because I wanted to see more of that. I don't yeah. know, a woman, a woman playing a slasher, like a slasher serial killer villain. Yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely agree with that. And if Jason can survive dying like a million times, why can't his mom? <laughs> Do you right? know what I mean? Like, did he inherit it from her? Like, wouldn't that be great if they like, pe- if yeah. this, like they came together as like a creepy serial killer duo? That would come be on. great. Has she never come back in me- in any of the iterations? Her severed head makes a cameo, and her sweater comes back. Al, you'd be, your mom would be happy about Perfect. that in the second one. <laughs> Amazing. 
yeah, she sort of comes back in like either like hazy flashbacks or this the severed head, as Matt said, which is a hilarious moment in two. I love I love the way that that kind of unfolds in two. But okay, so we talked we had established the fact that this kind of set precedence, and that was the thing that kind of jumped out to me this watch as I was like, you know, thinking more analytically about it. Because up until this point, we had, you know, Black Christmas, mm-hmm. which the killer is sort of this has a nebulous motive. And in Halloween, the motive of Michael Myers is never really established in that first one. And then this comes out like a year later. And it kind of I, it might be the first slasher that that is about revenge and establishes that as a motive that we mm-hmm. see in slashers from there and on. Because, you know, you have Freddy's getting revenge on the people that wronged him and you have. Um, like even scream all the way up to scream with the every single movie is about <laughs> revenge, and even in scream two is is uh the character of that is is sort of like a um an allusion to Mrs. Voorhees with the sort of revenge for her her son's mm. death and that kind of thing. But like I I was kind of wondering I think this might have set that kind of precedence. I'd ha- I'm thinking about it and it totally did. It was like that. Let's just have a slasher like the base plot. Let's have a slasher where it's the killer is getting revenge on something that happened. And let's name it after a holiday. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was just like yeah. all of those low budget Canadian tax credit, like prom night. It's all <laughs> uh, terror train. It's all of that where the killer has had has been wronged somehow and the victims are somehow related to it and they're getting their revenge. And it's like really simple. It's stupid. It's absolutely stupid, but it's clean and you get it. Well, and it also sort of establishes that that because one of I mean, you can trace like the the lineage of slashers back to even like the Italian Giallo films. And the thing that I think uh, this this one, this one particular takes is that sort of mystery around it, because, you know, we're we're not really sure in this film unless you 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 know the the ending you're not really sure who the killer is and they there are a couple of red herrings like it could be kind of steve christie mm-hmm. the man that's the, you know setting up the the camp or there's a, a little hint that maybe ralph maybe he is is sort of to blame because he's that kind of kooky prophet of doom where they even yeah. they literally call him a, a prophet of doom <laughs> in this movie which i think is hilarious since that's you know satirized all the way up into cabin in the woods but there there's like a, that mystery angle about who is doing these killings because it establishes it early on that this is someone that looks and acts kind of normal because otherwise Annie, poor Annie, wouldn't have gotten the mm-hmm. car with, with them, mm-hmm. you know? Poor Annie. Oh, poor Annie. Poor Annie. Okay. <laughs> My favorite actress in this entire movie. Is Annie? And she's killed off. Yes. She's, and she's killed off. She's great in it. In fa- I, in I, I love all- Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> she gets killed too. I was going to say, in fairness, yeah. they all get killed. <laughs> I mean, true. What I liked about Annie, though, the character, I, I was so sad because I, you know, I think that she has the most charisma out of all of, for me personally. I love the actress that, that plays her, but I did like that this, it sort of sets you up to think that she is going to be the final girl and it does mm. like a, a psycho homage in, in kind of in a way where it like, you know, unceremoniously kills her and slashes her throat. And it's like, oh no, she's. She's not the hero that we're going to be following through the movie. Mm-hmm. It's going to when be I... this person with the feathered hair, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember being really, even when I saw it, like, a couple, like, the whole movie a couple months ago, I was shocked by that because I didn't, I didn't know that much about the movie because I, I was like, I'm going to eventually watch this. I don't want to be spoiled, even though I'm already really spoiled on the end. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, like, this is a movie pretty 
interesting like you know they obviously they kill the person there's always that introduction where they kill the person near the beginning but this one felt different because she did feel like the final girl and felt like she was gonna come into the camp and like she was if we were gonna see the world from her eyes but Mm -hmm. psych (laughs) and it does take a long time with her too like it they they spend a sweet amount of time with annie you know right yeah and then they do her dirty Oh well. Yeah. They oh, dirty. So dirty. <laughs> Poor Annie. Poor Annie. <laughs> rest in yeah, peace. Rest in peace Annie. <laughs> but with the introduction, so we, we introduce they introduce her and then they introduce Marcy, Jack, and Ned. Jack, of course, played by the delicious Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and I know I'm reading too much into this, but when they're driving in the truck, I was like, this is a thruple right there. Oh my gosh, this amazing. is a thruple. Because Marcy is literally like massaging Jack's naked shoulder and he's moaning, isn't that just sort of like happily like, haha, this is great. I'm in the car with my two best friends. Like they feel like they could, they're just, you know, maybe a little bit of weed or maybe a couple shots away from all fooling around together. Um, And there's a scene later when they are uh, making out and Kevin Bacon calls for Ned, you know? I yeah. Think I, I'm picking and, you know, up what he's you're putting like, down. He's calling him, he's calling him yeah. Neddy, you know, and he's like, oh, it's just <laughs> Neddy. And ironically, they sort of do kind of consummate all three together because they're having sex in the bed while Ned is dead above. Poor Ned. True. <laughs> yep. Ned's on top. In the bunk mm-hmm. bed. <laughs> Ned is on top. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. <laughs> One thing that that did jump out at me though is, I always think about, in particular, that this franchise is being very sexualized towards women. There's a lot of you know female nudity as the as the shows progress, but this one. I mean, I might be in the minority, but I think it sexualizes the men yeah. a lot more than the women. Oh yeah, it's, it's, I feel like it's. I think it definitely. It's yeah. I think I think it kind of sexualizes everybody a little bit. Like the strip, the strip monopoly scene where she's oh, like, yeah. "Hang on, yes. let me, let me." I'm all of a sudden just in underwear, skimpy underwear, <laughs> and I'm gonna go out in the rain. Like it's it's kind of amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I also, okay, the strip of all the games to play, strip I to strip monopoly. I'm so surprised that never took off. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 but I, I guess I was thinking, like with the with the nudity. I mean, we're, we're introduced to Steve, and he is wearing his short shorts, and <laughs> he's shirtless, and he is lobbing that axe like he is, you know, a lumberjack in training. And I'm just like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. And then the only like real bit of nudity that I remember is the brief shot of Kevin Bacon's ass crack as she's grabbing onto her his cheek for. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Like, that is literally, I think, the only bit of nudity in this film in terms of, like, full-on nudity. And they always talk about the final girl being, like, the virgin and she's a goody good girl. But I think that the lead in here, like, smokes a joint. She's playing strip poker. She's drinking a beer. You know what I mean? And I feel like... She's had a relationship with Steve. Yeah, I was going to say, like, she's very obviously having sex with Steve. And it's like... I feel so like in all of this like reading I've done about final girls and stuff, I feel like I don't see Alice mentioned as much. I feel like it's always Laurie Strode is like the typical mm. final girl, but mm-hmm. this one is totally different than that. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see her name prop like, crop up as much in that kind of, in that discussion. You know, it's funny. I actually think that Alice was told to run like a girl 
If you see her running in that movie, she, like, her arms are flailing. I I really honestly think, like, no human being runs like that. I think that she was directed by a man to run like a weak person. Mm. So her being the survivor would be all the more, like, surprising and more of a shock. You know, I really think that a lot of the predominantly men behind these movies made the the leads of the uh, the female leads of these movies weaker than they normally would be for that surprise. Uh, and I yeah. find that Alice is especially like, just why are you running like a ridiculous person who has no <laughs> muscle in their body? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> anyway. It's so interesting though, too, because she, she's introduced as being kind of resourceful. Mm. Like, you know, she, she has, well, she has the tomboy aesthetic, right? But then, you know, she's literally introduced kind of nailing the gutter to the cabin. So she, she knows what she's doing. She knows how to, you know, nail things which i never i don't know how to do any of that kind of stuff but she's also artistic because you know she has a sketchbook (laughs) and i'm thinking about it in particular okay so he's going through the sketchbook and you only see like a very brief shot of it but it feels like she drew steve to look like a serial killer slash the unibomb i feel like we need to talk about steve i would agree okay so here's the thing okay i was all i'm so happy that you brought up the sketchbook because i feel like maybe alice is a different final girl because she's an artist randomly that's like the one moment in the movie where she sketches but then it never really comes back but what's up with steve he's such a (laughs) like he's kind of a creep the entire time he's so grumpy and i guess he's supposed to be the red herring but yeah, he feels, he feels a little bit a bit obvious. The way he's he's introduced to her, he's he's sort of like I don't know, it almost feels like he's kind of negging her about like, you know, oh, you know, baby come back, you know, I'll be I'll be things will be different, just stay the yeah. week. And it 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 definitely like I I want to I want to know what is the relationship before this is is he, you know, taking advantage of her because he is the person that's in charge? Have they had a relationship before? Like these are the questions that I had about them because you're right, he comes across as a as a creepo and then when I see the the sketch of him and I'm like, "Oh, yeah. I want to see what she looks at him as." Pat, do you have any insight on Steve? I don't know how old he is. Like, I always get thrown by like men in the late 70s with facial hair. They could be yes. like 25 or like 50. You know? I was thinking. I was like, he does not look like the proper age. Like it feels creepy that he is totally. like there's a bunch of like horny teenagers and then this owner who I just like kind of assumed was in his late 30s just hanging out with a bunch of teens and buying them beer. And I was like, yeah, this is topless with his yeah. short shorts. <laughs> and like his handkerchief tied around his neck. Like it looks like a little ascot. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, but this talking about like everyone being sexy, this movie, like kind of the idea of this movie and other horror movies about summer camp gave me such an unrealistic expectation of what summer camp was. <laughs> <laughs> i was like everyone's hot and everyone's like in love and then i went to summer camp and was a camp counselor and like yeah everyone was like kind of had crushes on each other but it was so awkward and no one knew Mm -hmm. how to talk to each other and everyone was really sweaty and in like awkward high school clothes and i was like no camp is not camp is not sexy are you saying that there is no Kevin Bacon and Speedos. Exactly. Is that what you're Not saying? Not to my knowledge, should the camps I went to, <laughs> there was no attractive, muscular, ripped man teaching swimming or the li- or being the lifeguard. It was just a bunch of awkward teenagers who were somehow put in charge of the lives of small children. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody died. So that's a positive. Yeah, nobody died. No one drowned. Nobody died. Yeah. There was no mom trying to take revenge on us. So like, you know. <laughs> that's a win. <laughs> Not sexy. 
but we lived. So I guess that that, that's that balances enough. out. I don't know. <laughs> In the grand scheme of things, it's a win. Yeah. Shout out to Shauna's Cunningham though for putting Kevin Bacon in Speedos. Oh. I have to say, Kevin Bacon, young repressed Harry, thanks. <laughs> and has it, everybody noticed his Speedo? Like that weird thing that's in the Speedo? Not his like square penis. <laughs> no. If you go go back to the dock scene when Ned or whoever pretends to drown, when they're hanging out on that dock. Look at the shot of Kevin Bacon's Speedo, and he has put something in his Speedo because it's not his penis. It's the square. It looks like a lighter. It's it's very <laughs> like odd. Tic-tac box. Anyway, Google <laughs> Speedo Kevin Bacon Friday the 13th. You'll see it. I'm currently looking at it. Okay. <laughs> and what, what's the report? What's the report back? <laughs> it does. It's it a mystery. Does, it does look like either a, a very... Uh, square carton of cigarettes or um, what, someone didn't know what a penis looked like and just stuffed something weird inside of his <laughs> inside of his shorts. Oh yeah. Okay. I do see I it. do love the idea that that is actually Kevin Bacon's penis and he has this very <laughs> interesting penis. I like that. That works for me. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, wow. the first person that we know of that has a square <laughs> penis. Exactly. <laughs> Now I'm just looking at pictures of Kevin Bacon's penis and Speedos, and I feel like I'm now on a list or something. Uh, I mean, you know, he finally showed it all off in the Wild Things. That was another. Kevin Bacon and my sexual growth, I tell you what. (laughs) Inextricably linked. Inextricably linked. Speaking of Kevin Bacon and sex, but like not in a fun way, his death is my favorite when he gets absolutely stabbed through the mattress yeah i recommend watching that one in slow motion that's what that's what i recommend yeah i heard someone did that once that's yeah. good just over and over again does that does that kind of help you know demystify the process the, the thing about that scene is it actually makes no sense because if you are going to stab somebody with a spear underneath a bed you have no room to like get the momentum do you know what i mean like there's oh, literally yeah. no I way do. to do it well, Terry also had yeah. a, a thought about this as well. I have a question about this scene. I was, as I was watching this, I was creating a story in my head. I want to know about Mrs. Voorhees hiding under this bed <laughs> while Jack and Marcy are mm-hmm. fucking. And <laughs> she like hides under this bed. And she's been there since before they got into, into the cabin. I'm like, what was she doing under the bed? Did she hear them come? And so she like <laughs> decided, oh God. <laughs> phrasing did she hear them outside and like decided i need to hide from them (laughs) or you know was she planning on this was she just assuming that they were gonna come in the bed and and fuck did 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 she know that they're gonna choose that bed i have questions and i want to have i want someone to make a short film about her process of hiding in this bed that would be amazing i mean it'd only be like a three minute movie but like it'd be perfect (laughs) three minutes of perfection i would be all over that (laughs) that's probably as long as jack lasted so it's perfect (laughs) but i anyway (laughs) that was a terrible joke um but I am curious about, I, I, I just, I want to know, I want to know what her thought process was. And I, I like the idea of, I mean, because she's obviously kind of prudish and repressed because she talks about in the exposition dump towards the end, you know, about like, oh, the, you know, they were making love. She can't even say they were, you know, having sex. It was, they were making love while Jason was drowning. So she obviously has some repressed or prudish ideas about sex. So I, I, I'm so curious about her being under there while they are literally... <laughs> 
having sex above her. It's not her first time, too, right? Because at the very beginning, in the 1950s, she is also creeping and watching, right? right. The yellow shirt counselors. Oh, yes. they're the most like, 1970s, 50s counselors I've ever seen in my life. Are amazing. Yeah. But, like, that is so interesting to think about. <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees as a voyeur and probably getting too deep into something that, but, like, just watching people have sex and waiting until they're done, like, that is so, or, like, close to being, I don't know, it's so weird to think about, but also very interesting. And then mm-hmm. when they're done, she's like, I'm just going to stab you through the <laughs> through the neck slowly. <laughs> this is my sexual, no, I'm this going is to penetrate my sexual release, but Exactly, yeah. exactly. Wow. I, um, the one thing I was really impressed with in watching it was the hand-to-hand combat between Alice and Mrs. Voorhees. The, like, the one moment where she, like, takes her and, like, Mrs. Voorhees, like, literally grabs her face and starts <laughs> slapping her. <laughs> yes! <laughs> what? The, the, the bitch yes. slapping back and forth, yes. like, over like, the top, <laughs> dramatic. So good. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So, to Terry, you actually made a note about Mrs. Voorhees being camp, maybe? Yes. Oh, yeah. That made me I'm think of that. I'm curious what people's thoughts about, about her as camp. <laughs> I definitely think that she's camp and you just like that that slapping scene is perfect. They would never do that now because it's too over the top. No. Which but... is why it belongs in the perfect movie. Yeah, the slapping is kind of amazing. <laughs> well, then when she talks to herself, she's like, "Hi mommy, get her." It's just like it's so much and it's so good. I know it's really borderline. Like it's borderline it could have been ridiculous in 1980. I feel like they got away with it. It's kind of ridiculous now, but it's her performance is actually amazing because in anybody else's hands that wouldn't work as well as it does okay so i have a story about mrs Voorhees. Uh um i in the early 2000s i went to a screenwriting seminar um because there was a a professor at ucla lou hunter who's written a book on on screenwriting he lives in nebraska which is where i live and he had a, a, a seminar and it was in his Victorian mansion or Victorian manor out in like this small rural town. And so I went there as a two week course, but he had uh, one of his co-teachers with him was a woman named Linda Voorhees. And I remember meeting her and she was, she was so, she, she was known for, I guess like her big thing is that I think she wrote, Lion King 2 okay. Simba's Pride but like she didn't She, I, I asked her I was like do you get called Mrs. Voorhees a lot and she seemed to be very um, clueless about that but she would talk about how with writing how when you when you had to write you had to use a scalpel and not an axe and she would act out like like a very small like incision with the scalpel <laughs> vices like don't use a hatchet she would swing her hand oh like God. and it, it it just reminded wow. me so much of, of of mrs Voorhees with the like over the top like actions and i just i don't know every time i think about mrs Voorhees, i think about the teacher where she's like you got to use a scalpel not a hatchet <laughs> that's amazing was she wearing a sweater <laughs> she was actually yes amazing. <laughs> that's great <laughs> I think we've discovered what the plot is for, uh, you know, number 20. In the, what number is it up to now? How many have they made? Well, they now they rebooted them. Like, I think that they went up to... I think they were, X was the last one. Jason X was the last one, I think. And then they rebooted yeah, it. Yeah, and then the remake. Yeah. Yeah. And in the reboot, was it her or was it Jason? It was Jason. No. Yeah. It, like, sort of does a quick 
fly through of the first three films, it seems like, and like the first maybe 20 minutes of the film. And then it just relies on, on Jason. And I know that the move that this franchise is like caught up in a bunch of rights issues where some people own it and some people don't like, there's a whole lot of issues about why they haven't made anymore, unfortunately, but I would love to see them continue. That would be great. Totally. And not try and reinvent it. Do you know what I mean? If they just do a straight up Mm -hmm. another trashy, like, horror movie, it would be great. The thing that I didn't like about the remake is it felt like it was trying to appeal to what they think horror fans want, which is boobs constantly, boobs and blood. (laughs) And I was like, that actually, if you watch the original, that's actually not what it's about. But I just found it really gratuitous and, like, like just not fun. You know, what do you think of uh, Freddy versus Jason? Um, I think I've like, I mean, Kelly Rowland's in it. That's that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but I remember not finding it scary at all. I, I just found it a little too like almost like too slick, if that makes sense. Like an yeah. action movie. Mm, OK, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah. What What's um, your guys's favorites of the uh, Friday the 13th films? I would say part two, because I like the final yeah. girl in that one, partially because it mm-hmm. reminds me of Allison. Um, me? Yeah. Oh my I've God. told you that. I forgot. You know, she's like <laughs> studying child psychology. You know, what? she puts on the sweater. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, I have sweaters, but I have never studied child psychology. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm talking to the wrong Allison right now. This is really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I am putting Friday the 13th Part 2 on my list, though. Do you have a, do you have a favorite at all, Allison, or are you not as familiar? I think I think the first one. Yeah. I think, I know that's a cop-out because we just already talked about it, but I do feel like, you know, for all the reasons that we talked about it, I'm going to stick with number one, the OG. What about you, Terry? I mean, sorry, Pat, this isn't my favorite of the franchises, <laughs> um, of the, like, the big horror franchises. I'm, a, I'm an Elm Street kid, but... Um, you know, I, I I honestly think two is probably my favorite as well. Just on, especially on a rewatch because we we rewatched it back in in November for the podcast, and I I do think that there's something about that one where they they haven't established a mythos behind Jason, and it's a little it's a little bit scarier mm-hmm. than than some of the other ones. I I do like. Uh, Gosh, what is it? Is it six where it like takes the 007 yeah, opening? It's six. Yeah. I, I think that one's kind of fun. Um, I, as, as much as everyone likes three and four, I don't care about either. Yeah. I agree. Other than the fact that three is where he gets the mask. Oh, that's right. He and doesn't get the hockey like, mask iconic. until the third. Mm-hmm. See, I was very confused about Friday the 13th until recently because I knew nothing about it. And I was just like, wait, hold on. The hockey mask isn't in the first one? What? <laughs> Not even in in the second one. What? No. Despite being a despite being a horror fan, here we are with me learning these things this year. (laughs) Which I have to say, it says a lot for the franchise that they could manage to you know establish something that big in the third one and keep it running. Right. Yeah. But going back to to this one, I I I do want to talk about the ending a little bit because, well, first of all, I I think the pacing of this movie is a lot slower than I kind of expected it to be on this on this rewatch because I'm I I've gone through. I've gone I've rewatched all of them over the last like year and it always surprises me how much slower paced and a, a much of a kind of a slow burn this one is in terms of in comparison to the later ones and the finale is so protracted between 
<laughs> between uh alice and and mrs Voorhees, where like they have like a little set piece and they fight and then alice is like okay i'm gonna go run away and then all of a sudden they're doing it again and it seems to like escalate from the slapping to the uh, she uses a frying pan you know to like defend herself to mrs Voorhees bashing her head against the oh my beach. god that's amazing which that part is the best <laughs> so intense <laughs> it's, it's so funny though <laughs> Yeah, but it's weird watching this one after watching some of the the later ones because it is a lot more of a restrained, I guess, in a way to to what what it would eventually turn Mm. into. They really milk even some of the quieter moments. Like I was watching it and noticing there's a scene where uh, she's lighting a lantern, and it's just oh, I love that scene. It just goes on like Mm. they let it breathe, which kind of works. So pacing wise, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's in a rush. It is quite restrained. Well, and a big part of the the middle section is literally strip monopoly. So I mean, it's like <laughs> they definitely take their time uh, with with this with this film in in ways that the later ones. I mean, this is also if you if you strip out the uh, the kind of recaps that every single movie after this one take on. This is actually the longest one until Chase, Jason takes Manhattan. Oh, interesting. Like everything else is below. 90 minutes and this one is i think it's at 95 minutes so it's 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 a little bit longer it's a little bit more measured and it's not what i think of when i think of friday the 13th and i think that's i think that's fascinating Hmm. when when you can see how it it progresses that this movie is is a lot different than than the series would turn into it definitely feels more grounded than the other ones i mean not you know it's not the most grounded movie ever made, obviously, but it does it does certainly feel a lot more grounded than, uh, let's say, X, the one in space. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by the time he, you know, has like a worm inside yeah. of him, and he's, <laughs> and then he's going into into space. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all franchises tend to eventually go in that hyperbolic totally. direction. I'm waiting for Jigsaw in space. Oh my gosh, but... for sure. But Terry, Please. I'm just thinking about what you just said about the the strip monopoly section. It's true. Like they're commenting on like the different properties. Like they're making jokes about Baltic <laughs> Avenue. It's like <laughs> there's a lot of time on that game. <laughs> but the, it really the is. Thing that's funny though is like this is really before like slashers were really established in like corporate that. Mm-hmm. They didn't need to have the fast pace, like kill every five minutes. They could do a slow burn because people would be watching it because they would get like a couple of murders out of the movie. And that hadn't been a rule that hadn't, nothing had been established. So they don't actually have a lot of story. So you'll notice that like the dialogue is like not important at all. And, you know, there's jokes in it and it's like nothing is the story. Do you know what I mean? The only story is yeah. teens go to a cabin and get murdered, and then one girl's left and she kills the murderer. But everything else, all the dialogue, doesn't matter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but they take their sweet-ass time with it, which is maybe it's taking from the 70s independent film slow, you know, and attention spans certainly were better back then. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, when I was watching it this time, I, I you know, I think about in particular, like the decades and this movie, even though it was released in 1980, it does feel sort of like a hanger on from, from the seventies in terms of, of pacing, in terms of the, the, the more restrained nature of the, of the kills and the way things, the way tension is progressed in this vice, what we would get in like the eighties. So it, it definitely feels like it's on that, that 
that tipping point where just a few more years later, things are going to go more bombastic and more, you know, like you said, kill, kill, kill. And how many, what's the body count we can rack mm-hmm. up? And the thing that's so I, I find I, as a child, I found the seventies very disturbing and creepy because I didn't understand them. And when you see mm. photos or images, it's all grainy film. Everybody has dirty facial hair. Bell bottoms were mm-hmm. terrifying. Like everything <laughs> for me about the seventies was like something before I was around and it was creepy. Like serial killers, like everything happened in the seventies and a lot of fun happened in the seventies. Unfortunately, I missed it all. But like this movie <laughs> reminded me of that. And, like, I just remember being a kid in the 80s and being, like, anything 70s, like, bad hair, turtlenecks, bell-bottoms scared me. I think it's because of this movie. Probably. (laughs) I was going to say the bell-bottoms, I swear they're not going to hurt you. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They're going to hurt me. That's amazing. Um, Do we want to wrap up and give us a rating out of five? Sure. Is there one more thing? Did I miss something? Sorry. One more thing. Well, there's one thing I I just – that has like jumped out at me as we're we're talking about the kind of pacing. I it's such a a silly moment, but when Steve goes to the diner mm. and he's getting hit on by the waitress, Sandy, I want to know what her story yes. is. She was such a fascinating <laughs> character who is in like she has maybe two or three lines of dialogue, but like she just has that unique like character actor look to her that I just I wanted to know more about. Well, her. if you want to know more about her, just rewatch Tootsie and pretend it's her because they basically <laughs> look like the same person. They do. You're right. That's amazing. They, is that? <laughs> I also was thinking about how I am not cut out for for cat for camping. Um, I was looking at these at these. Uh, very sweaty cabins with no AC, oh, yeah. no lights. They're all using like the lamps to get around. I'm like, no, this isn't <laughs> this isn't for me. I'll be in the motel down the road. I'll come in for like canoeing, but then can I go back to my motel, please? It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. The one the one thing that I saw just one last thought when on rewatching it, I had completely forgotten that she actually lives. That oh, was yeah. the part. That it was know. like a dream. I, yeah, which I kind of hated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like they should have just ended it with her in the lake. But but then we wouldn't get the amazing opening of two. Exactly. Fair, she needs fair. to die in the first five minutes of the second one. There you go. There you go. But yeah, that was the surprise. I was like, you know, I should have remembered, but it, it, it's been a while. And I was like, oh, right. She doesn't die. I actually agree with you because I, I do think that that moment would have been like the perfect, you know, gotcha moment at the very end. And then it sort of continues on and lets out the totally. tension. But it would have been I, I do think it would have been probably more of a tension filled ending if they had it ended on that kind of her getting yanked into the water. Because I would have been like, mm-hmm. what? And then it's like, oh, no, it's just yeah. a dream. So I, I, I agree with you there. But yeah, I love the fact that we get that she gets killed off in the like five minutes of the sequel. Uh-huh. That also Viciously. threw me off when I watched the sequel. I was like, "What? Hold on, what? This is a this is a good series. This is a good franchise in the three I've seen that throw some pretty good curveballs in terms of expectations." Uh, yeah. Okay. Do we want to now give it this? Yeah. <laughs> Do we want to give Friday the Thirteenth our ratings out of five? Yes. Okay, Terry. How many arrows to the throat? Do you get Friday the 13th? Uh, we didn't even really get to talk about poor poor Bill getting, you know, punctured in the throat with, with arrows. I, I That was the thing that I think jumped out at me th- on this watch as well, is how much 
penetration is on the men. Like the men are getting stabbed in the stomach, they're getting stabbed through the throat, they're getting stabbed, they're getting impaled with with arrows. So taking that, I you know, I think I would give this three and a half. I think one of those arrows kind of, you know, broke in transit to to hit hit the poor Bill in his throat. Uh, I think that this movie is is uh interestingly paced i think it's probably it's probably one of my favorite of of this franchise in particular um i'm just i'm not as much of a jason head or a friday the 13th head as i am a, a freddy a freddy fan but um i i think this movie is a lot of fun and i am so glad that we got to revisit it what about you mary beth i think i'm also gonna give it a three and a half three and a half arrows to the throat um it is not my favorite like horror sla- like classic horror slasher but i do i do really enjoy it especially for you know what it has done to establish the slasher genre i really love mrs Voorhees as a villain i wish she was always the villain in the franchise but <laughs> that's fine um it's just it's it's great i don't know <laughs> and it's it's like you know it's a weird movie from the 80s and there's issues with it but it's still like you know it holds up today it's really fun it's not that scary but you know it still holds up um okay allison how many arrows to the throat do you give this movie i would agree with you with the three and a half arrows to the throat and i'm gonna throw in four uh bitch slaps to the face yes (laughs) very good and then pat you have the, I'm going to give you the final, final word since this is a favorite of yours. Isn't it obvious? I mean, it's it's a five it, arrows a to five the head and, <laughs> and, and five bitch slaps to the face, you know? Hell yeah. <laughs> That's ten. <laughs> ten. Tens across the board. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Allison and Pat, for joining us to talk about Friday the 13th. Where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you'd like to share? Ooh, well, we have The Retreat, which is available now anywhere that you can rent or buy movies and uh you can find us in the credits for that movie. <laughs> uh, Perfect. that's awesome yeah. are you on twitter i'm pat mills at twitter and my insta is pat k mills and cool. my twitter is allison a-l-y-s-o-n m richards and my Insta is Allison Richards four one one. Awesome, and we'll make sure to put those in the uh, in the show notes too for all you listeners to go out there and go follow. Thank you so much. That was fun. Thanks for having us. That was great. Yeah, yeah of course. So, listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience on Friday the Thirteenth? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail dot com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.